Hi there, and welcome to the Legal Marketing 2.0 podcast, where we examine the latest trends in digital marketing. I'm Tim Barron, and this podcast is brought to you by the team at Good to Be Social, a digital marketing agency for law firms. In today's episode, I chat with Harvard Law Professor Scott Westfall, who teaches courses on problem solving, teams, networks, and innovation within law, and leads the law school's effort to support and develop lawyers across the arc of their careers. He also oversees and teaches global leadership programs for law firm managing partners, law firm leaders, associates, and general counsel. In this episode, we talk about the new model for developing lawyers, the importance of language, for instance, professional skills versus soft skills, design thinking, teaching law students to innovate, and so much more. I really enjoyed this conversation. Now, a quick note before we dive in, Professor Westfall was traveling and he was fielding my call from an airport in San Francisco. So please excuse an occasional background buzz. This is going to be a first for us, a airport-enabled podcast. All right, on with the show. Hi, and welcome to the show, Professor. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here, Tim. It's an honor to have you. Can you tell us yes. about your journey in the legal profession and how you came to focus on professional development? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's been an interesting path. I practiced law in Washington, D.C. for 10 years with a large law firm. And during that time, I was very involved as someone who cared about the development of younger associates as I became more senior. So I started to help to coach and mentor them. I was involved in the hiring process. So I became the hiring attorney for my office and I ran the summer associate program. I was very interested in diversity issues and diversity hiring. So I was active in trying to help transform the law firm's approach to hiring people based on broader criteria than they were applying at the time. I enjoyed all those things so much. And of course, it was quite a lot of effort and hours on top of my normal build hours. And at one point, I received a telephone call from a close personal friend who had been the consulting firm McKinsey in the early 90s. They had contacted her about whether she would be interested in leading professional development for them in Washington, D.C. And she said, no, but I know a lawyer who would be great at it. And I really didn't know much about them at all. As a courtesy to my friend, I went and spoke with McKinsey and I was you know, incredibly impressed as they explained all of the different processes they had for associate development, leadership training, giving feedback, team processes to make sure that teams worked effectively, their educational process, the way they treated alumni, everything that I'd wanted a large law firm to be doing, they were doing and more. And so I jumped ship from the law firm. I went to McKinsey for six years. Towards the end of that time, I was contacted by Goodwin Proctor in Boston, and they said, look, you speak lawyer. You've seen this whole other model for developing talent. Why don't you come here, and we'll give you a platform to do that within Goodwin. And Regina Pisa, legendary chairman of Goodwin at the time, who was the first woman ever to be managing partner and chair of an AMLA 100 firm, hired me, said, come here. You're going to write a book. You're going to do great things. And all of that happened. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah. and then after that, to Harvard Law, correct? Yes. And my path there was interesting. Uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate to have had Professor David Wilkins as my favorite law school professor when I was a student. He, was, he had just started teaching at the law school uh, at Harvard. And uh, years later, I reconnected with him when he was studying professional firms. I told him that, look, I'm at McKinsey. It's really interesting compared to law firms. They do a lot of things much better. I'm happy to talk to you. And he wrote me an email and said, come teach my class next week. So I started, I reconnected with him. And then 
about now eight, nine years ago, the law school started a mandatory course for all first-year law students that is really interesting. It's team-based. It's the only required team-based course at Harvard Law School during the January term of their first year. And its cases are written like a business school case. You have a lawyer in the middle of a problem as it's happening, and you have to figure out what to do with your team. So it's very real-world, practical. And David Wilkins, my hero mentor colleague, called me and said, why don't you come teach this with me? And Goodwin was generous enough to let me do that every January for five years. And at the end of that time period, then Dean of Harvard Law School, Martha Minow, called me and she invited me to come lead executive education at the law school, teach my own section of the problem-solving course, and become a professor. You know, now is probably a good time to let everyone know this is a first on the podcast. Um, I'm hunkered down here in frigid temperatures, if you hear me chattering my teeth, that's (laughs) um, in New York City, and the professor is outside the San Francisco airport on this podcast. (laughs) The wonders of technology, indeed. So if you hear some... uh, some planes taking off and coming in, you'll know what, why. So. <laughs> exactly. Apologies for that, everybody. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so in that leadership article that you co-authored with David in the Sanford Law Review, you acknowledge the increasing importance of technology. We've talked about, a little bit about that. But again, you reinforced what you just talked about, that corporate law remains a human capital business. And because of that, law firms have to attract and develop and retain talented lawyers. So how do law firms go about doing that? Well, you know, in the article, what we describe is that there's been a historical way of doing it, which was let law schools teach students how to think like a lawyer, quote unquote. And then, you know, when lawyers come into law firms, that they learn technical skills by some part doing, some part observing, and then some part training programs, but the training programs were very narrowly focused on the technical legal skills and knowledge they were supposed to develop. And what David and I describe is that really isn't in sync with what lawyers need in in the rapidly evolving practice of law, but also it's just misaligned completely with the efficiencies that the market now demands. Um, So it's not good for the people and it's not good for the clients. And law firms are competing in two markets, the market for clients and the market for people. So we're trying to change that paradigm. It's been remarkable to see the rise of legal operations. Absolutely. And, and there are still many law firm partners who don't even know that's happening. So again, part of the problem with the lawyer development model as it is, it's even for partners, the drive is to make them more and more technically proficient in narrower and narrower areas. And that means they're not taking their head out of the sand and understanding the way the profession is changing around them. The old model of a very long apprenticeship until you become technically proficient and are able to contribute is not a model that is efficient or actually is good for the motivation of the people involved. One of the reasons I'm most passionate about this is that I think that there's a talent flight away from the profession. We're seeing it with the drop-off in applications to law schools That happened after the financial crisis, 2007, 2008, 2009, but it's continued to happen and jobs are back. So it's not a jobs issue. The idea that if if you want to have impact in the world, younger people don't see law as a place where you can do that, at least not for many, many years, because the development model is so slow. 
And if the labor market now is more transparent than it ever has been, so it's very obvious to people that I'm really sharp. You go do a startup company. I'm, I'm, I'm standing right here in San Francisco near Silicon Valley. I'm a young college student, whether working at a law firm versus you know going trying to find a job at Google. It's really hard to make that choice towards the law. Previous generations were drawn to the law. I was certainly as a young person because law was perceived as a place you could make a difference and impact the world for social change. I, I started paying attention politically in the early 70s, you know, in the wake of the civil rights movement, the environmental movement, and post Watergate political reforms. Lawyers drove all of this change. And it was easy to assume that if you wanted to change the world, you thought about going to law school. And I just don't think that's true anymore because the development model is so painfully out of step with the way professionals are developed elsewhere and the way younger people learn and, and want to get involved. No, I, I agree with you. But I tell you, in the last year, I've been so heartened to see that, that lawyers are starting to become recognized as heroes again. Because in terms of, I remember when the ban on the travel ban came on and neighbors, exactly. yeah. right? In my, in my belt, yeah. remember, um, they were like racing down to the airport and their podcasts and blogs and all of these things popping up everywhere that are talking about how lawyers are starting to make a difference and, or not starting, but are making a difference. It's what lawyers have always done. Yeah. There is, there is some hope there. I agree there with that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, so I'm crossing my fingers on that front, but I, I worry, right? It's, there's a long lead time. You come in wanting to make that kind of difference. And yeah. if it's taking too long until you feel like you can, certainly the private practice of law is going to suffer. And, and that's a shame because uh, private practice lawyers, can be tremendously impactful in the world and can be the ones who race down to the airport when there's an immigration crisis. And some firms really, I work with the firm Lane Powell and they, they stepped up big time in Seattle to do that during the immigration ban because one of their alums was the federal judge who first issued the ban on enforcement of the ban. Yep. One of my heroes is a lawyer. He's Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative. And one of my favorite books is one of the books that he wrote which is just mercy. It's something I recommend to everyone I meet. <laughs> so to continue, though, with that article, you propose a new model. This really resonated with me of professional development in which not just law firms, but law schools and corporate clients come together to train lawyers in technical and professional and network building skills. And not just that, but sort of a commitment to lifelong learning. And that's also a popular right. topic to discuss these days, right? That we're lawyers, yeah. even lawyers regulating bodies are mandating now, and they are notoriously slow to change, but are mandating that lawyers have a certain technological competence and stuff like that. So can you elaborate a little bit on that yeah. collaborative model? Absolutely. So the, the model that we're looking at, rather than the old divided model of law schools just you know teach you how to think and law firms teach you how to practice and then in-house departments didn't really teach you much at all. It was not a good model. And what we're proposing is to take a look at, you know, what are the components of what makes for great lawyers? And then how can we create an ecosystem where everyone involved is contributing to the elements of lawyer development, the three elements you referenced. We see it as you know, effective lawyers need, you know, technical legal skills and knowledge those are the things that uh, law schools and law firms have, have been fairly good at teaching. But there's a whole broader set. The, the second leg of our development triangle is professional skills. 
We never, by the way, say soft skills. That's kind of a pejorative term, that, and, it, and it does not encompass what we're talking about. That professional skills are about skills that you need to be effective as a professional in, in almost any context, whether it's a lawyer or, or some other professional. So leadership skills, negotiation skills, team skills, feedback skills, the ability to exercise judgment in complex situations, take large amounts of data and figure out what matters within that data, a broad set of skills, speaking and presentation skills, for example, advocacy skills beyond just legal advocacy. The professional skills that lawyers develop now, the way they've done it within law firms, the way I was doing it as lawyers, really just kind of haphazardly uh, getting opportunities once in a while and figuring it out on my own. And and to me, that, that's just not good enough. And when I went to McKinsey and I saw all the resources they invest in teaching professional skills, team leadership skills, management skills, projects, negotiations, influence skills, it was incredible. They were very deliberate about it because they saw an acceleration of the ability of their young consultants to have impact. And they empower their younger consultants to do so much more substantive work than young law firm associates do. And I think that's why McKinsey's the most popular interview at Harvard Law School a very different level of investment and law firms have significantly underinvested in it. What gets me upset is that you know, the sink or swim model is just so inefficient. And it's true that when you take someone out in a rowboat, you throw them in the water, they'll either drown, they'll figure out how to dog paddle, but some of them become pretty good swimmers. And I think the law firm model of development has typically been, you know, sink or swim, you can figure it out and become a pretty good swimmer. But by analogy, you know, who do you want as your lawyer and, and who do you want to be as a lawyer? Do you want to be a pretty good swimmer or do you want to be Michael Phelps? Well, if you want to be Michael Phelps, you need a coach, you need mentoring, you need a program, and you need a lot of discipline and investment in making you the best swimmer in the world. Yeah, relative to other professions, we're way behind in terms of level of investment and that kind of development. The third leg of the triangle is network. And I never say networking because that scares people who type out as introverts the way I do. <laughs> yeah. Networks is, is the way complex problems are solved and paying attention to the way networks are built and to how to leverage networks is going to be one of the most important skills of the next century for anybody in professional and service positions. Increasingly, you know, work is done across interdisciplinary networks and organizations. There are futurists who believe that organizations themselves will go away. We won't, everyone even belong to a firm or a company. We're just going to be online digital nomads connecting with each other, forming cross networks to solve problems. And if you're going to do that, you've got to understand how networks work and be able to map them and cultivate them. One of the most challenging things I think about the way law is taught is that we we create a competitive environment within day one at almost any law school you go to. There are probably a few exceptions, but uh, almost all of them, at least the, the major law schools, you come in and you know you're all going to get decent jobs. You'll all turn out fine. The competitive environment means inhibits the forming of friendships and networks that endure past sitting in torts together. When I first went to McKinsey and ran into, for the first time in my career, really, a lot of MBA students from Harvard, Wharton, Stanford. You know, the business schools had worked in teams and had understood that from day one, the building of a network was the main reason you went to business school. It ought to be the main reason or one of the main reasons you go to law school as well, and, but it's not. And most law students walk away with a couple of good friends, but 
not nearly the kind of networks that an MBA does or a doctor does or an engineer does because they work in teams all the time. And the, the article points out that one of the ways to build those networks is to really enhance the teaching in teams within law schools. That's something I'm very passionate about. All the courses I teach at the law school are team-based. I love what you say about network versus networking and, and just generally what you said about net. Maybe one day I'll have you back and we can, we can go deep just on that alone. Um, terrific. There's, love a lot, there's a lot I'd love to, to chat with you about that. And I also really appreciate what you said because language really matters, right? I mean, I literally wrote this down as you were saying it, not soft skills, which I've always hated, but professional yeah. skills. I'm going to use that going forward. That's yeah, yeah. yeah, language is really important. The way yep. you frame things, the way you talk about them, and uh, lawyers, especially when you're talking about lawyers, because it's our craft, and sometimes we're very sloppy with it. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> so turning to the future, as we wrap up this podcast episode, you've developed an innovation in legal education and practice course. And frankly, it doesn't seem to fit in with the curriculum of a traditional law school like Harvard. Can you tell us a little bit about how you teach law students to innovate? I'd be delighted. It's one of the things I'm most excited about. I've taught the course for four years now. And, you know, I had a couple of key goals. One was to have students working in teams to leverage each other's strengths and during relationships. So I'm accomplishing that. The second was to introduce design thinking principles and creativity principles so that the students could understand how services, and including legal services, are and will be transformed by the application of design principles to solving problems. It is sweeping the services world everywhere else, and it's now coming towards law, and it's one of those buzzwords you're starting to hear now. People are starting to talk about design thing. We've been doing it for four years now, and what ends up happening is my students get together in teams. We give them challenges. They use design principles to identify and dig deep into a particular problem about legal education or legal practice, and they get very close to the data, and they do gather a lot of information, do a lot of interviews. As we move them towards design principle and problem solving and brainstorming, we try to unlock their creativity by the end of the semester. Just like the television show Shark Tank, they have to get up with their team and present to a panel of outside experts and be grilled by the experts about their proposal. The general counsel of Bain Capital, my friend Sean Doherty, is one of our judges. He's terrific and uh, as an example of you know, the kind of quality of people we're bringing in to challenge the students and get them to think more broadly. You know, One of the myths about millennials is they can't take feedback. And what I'm absolutely excited about with this course is you get them engaged to give them real feedback and they want to go you know, adapt the feedback and build out their idea and do something new. Some of the proposals have been absolutely fascinating. As one example, I had a group of students just before Thanksgiving present. Their concern was that there are a lot of unhappy mid-level associates in law firms who really don't know where to turn to think about alternative careers in the law. They went out and interviewed law firm associates and then the CEOs and chief technology officers of all of the major dating apps. And they designed essentially a dating app solution where unhappy fourth-year associate, I call up this app, and I look at profiles of lawyers doing different kinds of jobs, and I swipe left or right depending on, on my interest. The app then is learning about my preferences and scraping job posting data and other data to help show me potential paths 
forward that, that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. They also have uh, network creation abilities within it. it. It's a system that could, I think, would be a highly commercializable solution. And I was very excited to see it. Way to go. You know, as I said before, I'd love to keep going. Yep. But unfortunately, we're out, of, we're out of time. But yep. do you have any final thoughts or takeaways you'd like to share with our audience? I'm a hopeful person, and I'm very hopeful that lawyers are smart and that we will figure this out in terms of the application of a new model to develop lawyers, that there's a lot more collaboration and cooperation. Bridges are being built that I think would never have been built in the past. So to the extent that you all can help get the word out and create energy for us around this transformation of lawyer development, I am very excited and it's been an honor to talk to you. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, on that upbeat note, and also that challenge, <laughs> we'll wrap up. And I, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast, Professor. I really enjoyed this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Before you go, I want to ask you a question. Do you struggle with digital marketing and how to make it work for you and for your firm? If so, please go to lawfirmmarketinghelp.com and sign up for a free digital audit. The audit will provide you with all of the information you need to build a blueprint for your digital marketing strategy to produce the results that you want. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our podcast, and we'd love it if you also left a review. We're here on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find the show notes for this episode, along with all of the Legal Marketing 2.0 episodes, at goodtobesocial.com. Thanks for listening.